0: Yo, welcome into House of L, episode 65. I am the L of House of L. I'm Lawrence Holmes. Although my guest said that this week's episode should be called House of LL because she is also an L, it's something that we will discuss throughout our conversation. I hope that you're doing okay. I'm doing great. I just got back from my graduation at the University of Alabama. Roll Tide! It was a really wonderful weekend. I had a blast. It was... It it meant a lot. Like, the whole weekend was very emotional, and I'm very pleased with my education and the hard work that went into getting my master's degree in journalism. I don't want to take away from Layla. Uh, this is her episode, and it's really, really good. I, maybe next weeks or two weeks from now, the House of L will be all about that. But I can tell you, if you're following me on social, whether it's Twitter or Instagram, I feel like I shared a lot. I don't ordinarily spike the football the way that I spike the football on this, but I felt it was warranted. And I was glad that um, I had Mel there. Panther came with me and she was so supportive throughout the whole deal. So if you want to see pictures, you can. And maybe I'll talk about it on a later episode. House of L. This episode of House of L features Layla Rahimi of NBC Sports Chicago. And I'm glad that she had time to she came in here on her off day. And I'm I'm really appreciative appreciative of that. It's funny because we were recording, like I was getting ready for my flight down to Birmingham. So I'm glad that we got a chance to to get the episode done and get it out on time and so people could check it out. And that people can hear her story because I think it's a really interesting one. And this episode got really emotional. You'll hear it in Layla. It got really emotional, her talking about being Persian and her family being from Iran and what that's been like for her when people come after her for it on social media. Yes, they are really awful people that still do dumb stuff like that. But hearing she had a really incredible experience at Harvard and I won't spoil it. I want you to listen, but she found out something about her place in the business that she didn't know. And when she talks about it, like I can just tell you, she got really emotional about it. Like she was tearing up discussing it. And I think it's a, I think that it's definitely worthy of her tearing up. And she found out that she was special like I said, listen to the episode and you'll, you'll hear why. But Layla and I have known each other for a long time. I'm glad that she was available for this episode. And we talked about a lot of stuff, including her growing up in Texas. <laughs> she loves Texas. She's very much Texas. What it's like when you have your dream job and then it folds because the place that you work at folds. Like what happened with her at Fox Sports, Houston. So you'll, you'll hear her talking about a lot of stuff. It's some great advice if you're in the business already or if you just like Layla and want to learn more about her. I think this episode did more than even the times than she's been on the radio. Like when she's been on the show, it's been fantastic, but this is definitely a little bit more in-depth, more introspective, and she was a, an active, willing participant in the, the interview, which makes for a great interview. So here is NBC Sports Chicago's Layla Rahimi. So, look, a lot of the ground that we're going to cover, we have already covered. Right, just personally. Yeah, in different venues, we have covered a lot of this ground. Yeah. But I'm glad that you are now going to be on House of L because people have been asking for you.
1: Well, I appreciate that. I think they just assumed that I would be one of your first guests. And I like the fact that that assumption... Doesn't need to be rewarded.
0: But but I mean, the thing is, is that you kind of are. Because people forget there were 18 Bears episodes inside. Actually, if if I take out the Bears episode and the Khalil Mack episode and the uh, Michael Kopech episode, this is really, I think, episode like 39 of the <laughs> podcast. Something like that, like maybe 42 or something like that. So there's a lot of, I haven't done a lot of interviews. And then when the new gig came up. I completely had to change the schedule. And I actually kind of like it now that I can do one every two weeks and still feel like the podcast is setting out to do what it was planning to do. Yeah. So I'm happy that you're here.
1: Well, I'm glad to be here.
0: Why don't we start at the beginning? Oh. Yeah, we're totally recording. Did you not
1: think we were recording?
0: No, I didn't know what was happening just now. You know, I, I do do that. Sometimes I just start recording and just see what happens and people are like, oh, the podcast is over.
1: I'll speak directly into the microphone and turn my volume. On. Oh, there it is. See, look, there the, it is. The
0: room's so small that it doesn't <laughs> matter. It's, it's gonna pick you up anyway. I'm gonna try not to be too loud. When did you know that this is what you wanted to do? Because knowing a little bit about your family and your family background, there's a lot of smart people in your family, and maybe they wouldn't have taken the road of working in in media.
1: Oh yeah no as I as I was reminded when I went to Harvard to speak at their Iranian summit a few weeks ago, we joke that there is three options in a Persian household in your career doctor, lawyer, engineer or disgrace to family
0: <laughs> so so are you uh, in the disgrace category? Because I of certainly
1: it? am. I mean I didn't realize what an uphill battle I was fighting. Growing up in Texas, wanting to cover sports for a living, especially football, didn't seem like a dumb move. But in my house, it wasn't met with the, the most support, at least on my dad's side. My mom thought it was great. My mom was born and raised in Texas. She's like a seventh generation Texan. She can trace her roots here back to the actual American Revolution. But my dad's like, what are you doing?
0: <laughs> so what did he want for you?
1: Uh I'm I'm still real not sure. Okay. So, uh that's a conversation I may never know the answer to. I think I think he I found out after I got divorced that he wanted he wanted kids at some point. Oh. I'm like, uh, "I don't think we were on the same page there, dad." But I also don't think I got married at 25 and divorced at 30. So I don't know that my dad necessarily was ready to be a grandfather then. So I had to rib him a little bit and be like, oh, oh, now you're ready now that I'm divorced.
0: But see, the thing is that you you could (laughs) I having known you for a little while now, I could imagine you as a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer.
1: I couldn't because that's not really what I did. Like. I grew up performing arts, journalism, like, dance, orchestra, choir, um, newspaper. I was very much—I took all the honors classes and stuff, but math and science weren't so much really my jam until, like, college. But then I just took, like, a bunch of— electives i guess i took like biology and all that stuff
0: yeah but people usually run away from math if math isn't their jam like when i got to college i was like okay how many math and science classes do i have to take two awesome i'm gonna knock those out and get out of here and use the rest of my my time doing history and And communication stuff. I wasn't going to look for a math class.
1: North Texas required me to take at least a year. And then I just took AP stuff in high school. I didn't take calculus, but I took AP statistics and all that. And then I took statistics again in school, in algebra, in college. And then, yeah, like biology, astrology, and geology were the sciences I took. But I don't know. I mean, I made A's in them all, but I made one B in school. That was frustrating.
0: What was the B in?
1: I made an 89 <sighs> in journalism law.
0: Didn't run, round
1: it up for you? Oh, he was notorious. Now they probably would.
0: Is there any more, anything more frustrating when you're like, I know I have an extra point somewhere. Yeah, I know that you can give me an extra point somewhere.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I was working two jobs in school at the time, and I was just trying to get out early, and I was like, I'll take the L, fine.
0: Did Was North Texas... Was was that the place that you wanted to be, or did it serve a purpose because of location?
1: I I mean, North Texas is in the number 5 market in the country. In Dallas, they have a huge, huge—I majored in journalism, but their radio program is famous, at least in the Southwest. It pretty much provided everybody who worked at The Ticket in Dallas, which is a station I reference a lot, because that's where I came up. They hired me on air at 19— People assumed I was an intern. No, no, I got hired. And um, it's it was definitely a good choice for me. My mom also worked there, so I got a discount at the time, which was necessary. I grew up wanting to go to Texas, but I just couldn't afford it, paying for it on my own.
0: There's so many stories like that where you have the dream school. I was just talking with some students a couple of weeks ago about how DePaul was my final choice, like, Out of the eight schools that I applied to, it was last on the list when I ranked them. And now I can't even imagine my life having not gone there. You know, it's it's a weird thing, like what you perceive to be what you really, really want out of life or out of college. And then your experience, for the most part, is going to be the same wherever you go outside of a couple of things here and there.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I would have worked so much in school anyway that I wouldn't have been able to go to, like, Longhorn football games. I wanted to dance in, in college, and I took a few classes, but I couldn't be on Pom Squad or anything like that because, A, bottom line, I was too fat. And then, B, I was covering—oh, yeah, that was a thing when I was in school. And then, B, you had to—I had to cover sporting events for the school paper and stuff. So that wasn't going to happen.
0: Were you ballet in Growing up, or was uh, it? Like yeah, but modern? I didn't do
1: points. So I did like mostly. I did ballet to start, and then like jazz, tap, hip hop, clogging, even. Um, you know how to clog drill team? Yeah, I mean, if you know, like, yeah, because I took tapping, and clogging, and then I did drill team for like three years. So like high kicks for infinity. <laughs> I wanted to be a Radio City Rocket at one point, but you have to be five six, and I'm five three, so that was out. But yeah, yeah I mean, and I, I was, I yeah, I did all that stuff and. You know, got awards, a camp, and all that junk. But it just, I knew it wasn't going to be what I could do for a living.
0: Are you ever going to do this Chicago Dancing with the Stars thing?
1: Uh, they haven't asked me. Huh. All right.
0: I'm going to have to make a phone call on that. Would you do it?
1: Yeah, if, if I somehow had the time. Yeah. I found out about it for the first time when I was at the Olympics overseas, so I couldn't do it then. But, no, I just figured they'd ask people.
0: They do. They asked me this past year.
1: Also, ballroom dancing and dancing with a partner, if you take in dance forever solo or, like, in studio, not ballroom, not with a partner, is really hard to adjust sometimes.
0: I was terrified of it. But I did, I had so much stuff going on that I was like, there's no way I can fit in the amount of time that it would take to prepare oneself to do a routine like uh, um Was it Michelle McMahon who she won, right? And Spice Adams won at one point? Like, I had no time. There's no way I was going to be able to pull that off. I was already juggling, like, six balls. I'm not going to be able to do that, too. Right. So if they ask you, you're in.
1: I mean, yeah, if I'm allowed to be, yeah. I don't know what my responsibilities are going to be in February of 29 or 2020, but I'd like to. Is there a dance
0: that you think that you could do well?
1: I mean... If I practice, I can pretty much. Yeah, that's the. That's not a problem. Yeah, but trying to figure out like with
0: like what your personality like, which type of dance. I. What do they do there? You can do all sorts of different stuff inside of ballroom.
1: Oh, see, I just always laugh because I always think of like the cheesy dancing with the stars and like the pointing, and then like half <laughs> of a salsa move, and then some more posing, and then some pointing, and. Salsa
0: would be what I would. Lean towards.
1: No, I could sombile. Let's go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Of course. All right. So see, there it is. The I'm not trying to be like down. a
1: diva, but I mean, I can. St- I. It's just, can I do all the stunts? I don't know. I'd have to practice a little bit. I can still do some stunts, but I can't do like everything that I used to be able to do.
0: Well, we hung like out. I can't
1: do switch leaps, and like I'd have to work on like like real dancer stuff.
0: Well, okay. Was well, in your if you do do this, you're going to be the odds on. We're going to install you as the favorite.
1: No, because I'd probably just goof off. Then it's no fun if I win. I just want to do it just for fun. Knowing you,
0: I don't think that that's going to be the case, Layla. I think that you're gonna you're gonna attack it the way that you attack everything, and it's a competition. It's something that you can win. Please, you're not going to just the all Madden switch in you is going to flip as soon as you start to be like, oh wait, we're playing for real. Cool. Now I'm going to practice and beat everybody's ass.
1: Yeah, that's the problem. Why is that a
0: problem?
1: Because I don't like living my life that way. It gets stressful. I already have high blood pressure and (laughs) cholesterol, apparently. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, Middle Eastern background.
0: Can we talk about being Persian and growing up in Texas?
1: Sure. What's that like? So I grew up with a pretty different situation because my dad came to this country for school from Tehran, Iran. Because the Shah had worked out a deal where if you came to Texas, you got cheaper than out-of-state tuition if you were from Iran at the state schools. What? Yeah. And Amir Rahimi has never met a deal he didn't like. Mm-hmm. So that's—and and that's, for some reason, all the way from Tehran, he picked Denton, Texas, and that's where he met my mom.
0: So what was it like for him?
1: I You know, the thing is— I hear stories, like, after the fact. And my parents got divorced when I was seven. So it was hard for me because I grew up, like, half in a Persian house sometimes and then not at all. But he talked about being here during the hostage crisis. And I think when 9-11 happened, he was totally expecting to finally give the answers that he had thought about for 20 years. And then... He was at LaGuardia and he was traveling for IBM and he was in a polo and pleated khakis and they just let him right through. And he's like, you've got to be kidding me.
0: I've been preparing for this. (laughs) Yeah,
1: But sadly, no, at that point, you're just a 30 some odd businessman. But I know it was hard for him. It wasn't. I don't know that it was. I don't know that people spoke as blatantly as they do now, though.
0: For you, what was it like? Because I keep wondering, like, how often were you mistaking, mistaken for another ethnicity?
1: Oh, all the time.
0: Because, I mean, I would imagine people thought you were Italian.
1: Well, in Texas, they just assume you're Hispanic. Really? Of course, yeah. That's that's the majority my, minority there. Of course they thought it was Hispanic.
0: Okay. So my,
1: And it's really a disgrace that I don't speak Spanish. I really should.
0: I'm surprised that you don't.
1: I took French.
0: Do you speak any Middle Eastern languages? Uh,
1: Farsi? I used to speak it pretty well growing up, but then I've lost almost all of it. And everybody was speaking Farsi to me at Harvard, and I was like, I'm really sorry. I only know like eight words. It's embarrassing.
0: <laughs> well, w- we are going to talk about the Harvard experience because it was crazy. But I, I, I am curious on like what, what is that like? So what, what was 9-11 like for you?
1: I mean, I was in college, so I was at a place of, of higher learning, and it was—North Texas has always had a lot of international students, so it was a fairly diverse place. And even in Dallas at the time, people didn't have the same hatred that they do now, I don't think. And it, it wasn't at least as public. That was the beginning of how we now live our lives.
0: Oh, there's no doubt about that. So have you ever had that aha moment of being reminded that you're a minority?
1: Oh, of course. I mean, listen, I was on the selected list until I got married to a white guy whose last name was Cryer. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I mean, my brother and I used to get treated horribly at airports all the time. Because our last name matched somebody else. And then stewardesses and gate agents would be like, oh, I'm sorry. For some reason, you can't check in. I'm like, I know the reason. So it takes me 30 minutes extra to fly everywhere. But the problem is we don't get minority status. So I don't get to check a box on a college application and say that I'm a minority. On my birth certificate, it says mother birthplace Denton, Texas. Father birthplace Tehran, Iran. Race white.
0: How does that make you feel? Because when you were you were at my house, we were watching football and we were talking about it, and I I think I kind of flippantly had said, "Yeah, you're you're a minority," and I I didn't really think about it in terms of what does Layla consider herself and other. Uh, we'll see. Like I I think of you as brown. Like I go, Layla's brown.
1: I mean, I I certainly have to deal with setbacks like any brown person. I don't think as many. As, as some, clearly, because I was born speaking the language and I was born a citizen. But, yeah, I mean, I, I check the box of other. This is something that a lot of Persians talk about. We don't really fit any of the bills. What's interesting to me is I feel like it's a credit to minority communities to embrace us. Why? I vote, it's just awesome. It's nice to have that compassion and that camaraderie and the understanding and that's always meant a lot to me personally. Yeah, I
0: I look at you and I I think minority and brown person.
1: Right. And and people who were Hispanic and African American growing up always felt the same way and I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> thank you. Cuz I don't know where I fit in. And that, I mean, not to get all cheesy and and bring it out to a much bigger scope of situation, but that's my life. You know, I was I I heard all the time from my agent that I didn't look like Aaron Andrews, and I wasn't blonde, so I wasn't going to get a lot of jobs, but I wasn't considered a real minority. That's that's a life. And he's Persian. And then, you know, viewers tell me my nose is too big. Yeah. I mean, nothing was as insane as when that one guy on the Robert Feeder column, who was proud enough to name his position at... A company that is media involved as an executive, call me a terrorist. But if you're going to poke the bear, maybe you should do some due diligence first because I'm probably going to report it to your supervisor, which I did.
0: If someone uses that type of language to describe you, like what type of feelings go through you? Like, I. I, I <laughs>
1: There's, I think we've all been taught that we have to have a little bit of humor and self-deprecation with it, or else we're not going to survive that discussion with any sort of level head.
0: It's true, but considering, like, look, we all know that in, what type of words are charged in my community, and I've had to deal with them and other people have too, but considering... Yeah,
1: preface that with sand, and I've been called that as well. A
0: hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I have... It's me and Gabe Ramirez were actually talking about the use of that word and who has license over that word. And I feel like not that I use it, but I feel like anyone who has been that, that has been said about them in a derogatory manner has license to use it.
1: Yeah, and out of respect to those who respect me, I will never use it. But I will also never tell somebody how to use it.
0: Mm-hmm. But being in in a post 9/11 america to be labeled with the term terrorist like that that has connotations of its own that i would imagine are both hurtful and frightening if 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 i'm you
1: yeah i mean it's not an everyday thing like when you hear that you're not white enough to be a sportscaster even though you're good That's when it's an everyday thing and it bothers you. You know, when it doesn't come down to your body of work or your accomplishments or your knowledge, but the fact that I'm not blonde, which basically is code for you're not white enough. That's when it bothered me. But when it comes to somebody calling me a terrorist, honey, I come from the great state of Texas. If you want to mess with the bull, you're going to get the horns. And he sure did.
0: You're so proud of being from Texas. why?
1: It's a state of mind it's it's far more what I identify with. I mean that's where I was born and raised for over
0: 30 years. It's so interesting to me that that's your you know I've been studying a lot and now that everyone knows that I've I've been going to grad school for the last two years um I've been studying a lot about boundaries and identifiers and how each of us, has primary you know secondary tertiary, keep going down the list with our identifier. So I think that my primary identifier is black. yet my white colleagues, their primary identifier is probably male before white or or um, Italian or Irish, like their their first identifier is probably male. And I always wonder when it comes to women in our business, Where does your ethnicity play in your identifier? But with you, it's
1: Texas. (laughs) Which is hilarious. And try being from Dallas and working for the Sports Network in Philly.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That might be fun, huh?
1: You know why? It was kind of awesome because working in Philly was so much fun. And you actually do feel like you're doing a public service because people care so much and they just love sports that much. But some of them outed me on message boards. She's from Dallas. (laughs) And I was like, that's right. You're sleeping with the enemy and I'm still going to bring you news about your team because that's my job.
0: That's so great.
1: But it was, it was pretty funny, but you know what? At the end of the day, they knew that I cared about my job more than that, more than anything. So it it worked out. Okay.
0: (laughs) It it, it absolutely has worked out. Okay. But I mean, to spend 10 minutes with you, you, the Texas comes out pretty quickly.
1: Yeah. And I mean, again, it's one of those things. It's, it's just like being Persian. It's just like being a woman. I tend to attack everything with a little bit of self-deprecation and I try to have some fun with who I am because I just, that's how I operate. And so when it comes to being Texas, there's sometimes, I mean, when I'm in Texas, no, I'm like way low on the Texas totem pole of like people who are proud to be from there. Like I bluebell ice cream. Isn't that great? You know, like, wow. it's just not like
0: Matthew McConaughey doesn't look that good in that burn orange suit. Is I mean, I've seen saying? him in
1: person. You know, I know people who went to high school with him, actually, because in my travels, that's one of the markets I landed in was Longview, Texas, where he's from. But it's other things like they need to rethink their school finance system via the property tax. Like, I, I'm not as married to it as I was, but. I do laugh because if somebody from the state of Illinois is going to come at me, I think he might have been from Indiana in these comments, and you're going to call me a terrorist? Honey, you get in the state first. Don't mess with the Republic. And then we'll add on top of the fact that I'm Persian. And maybe you mess with the wrong girl.
0: Maybe. Maybe. After I'll come all at this. you in a
1: language you understand, and then I'll hit you with the clapback.
0: <laughs> you're big on the clapback, and I appreciate that because you're, you know, you're like this this small package of dynamite because you're very small. And then all of a sudden you want to play? Fine. I
1: mean, I'm not TV skinny. I'm not network skinny, but I hold my own.
0: You're you're a lot smaller than you're giving yourself credit for.
1: But you know what I mean. I, That's you, a whole world that I do not participate in because I like food.
0: Yeah, you have curves. Persian women usually. Yeah. It's like a thing. Yeah. Is that ever you felt like it that been a problem as far as getting or keeping jobs?
1: No, not as much as my voice. That's, what's wrong with that's, your voice? Oh, that's the number one complaint.
0: What are you talking about?
1: Yeah. And it's held me back from some major, major jobs.
0: I don't understand what's wrong with your voice.
1: Yeah, you might want to ask the guys who were in charge.
0: I mean, I'm having a real problem, like with it sonically, not understanding why someone wouldn't want your voice. On their tracks
1: well didn't I just explain that what has made me different has both been a benefit and a drawback you did there's still a certain expectation I think in our business for how women are supposed to behave and speak and there's a template and I don't fit into it and I thank God that my network appreciates that and those who have hired me in the past appreciate it as well
0: see whenever I talk with you it's also very easy to discern how you were born in sports radio. You know what I mean? Like I can I can hear the, like the whole idea of the clapback is oh, very yeah. the ticket very sports oh, yeah. radio e. Yeah. So how do you think it in, influenced you?
1: Um I mean to me, it's just witty banter, right? Like, to me, that's just how we deal. That is the currency in which we trade. Like, when I got hired at that station at 19 years old, if I didn't come back fast, I was going to be roadkill. So, to me, that's just, that's how you live. And, and it's made me better. There's not a doubt in my mind that has made me better. And keep in mind, I'm older than I look. And I think a lot of people don't realize that when I was still coming up, a woman in sports was still a novelty. And you had to prove that you were supposed to be there when asked to. I wasn't going to run around being like, hey, I'm supposed to be here. But at the same time, I got tested.
0: When you got tested, how did you feel about it? Like, What was, what was your reaction? Because I imagine some of it was, really? Like, really? I I have to do this again?
1: I mean, yeah. Yeah. In the beginning, I I kind of expected it. But then when it was persistent, you can just kind of tell. Sometimes people talk to you, they talk down to you, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not trying to talk about that right now. Like, I'll just go back and clarify. Because that's all you really can do.
0: What's the hardest moment that you had early on in the business that maybe you questioned – whether or not you were going to continue in the business.
1: Um, well, I wasn't on air at the time, but I was. I had worked my way up at a regional sports network in the Dallas area. And I was in a department that wasn't quite – they called it news at the time, so they produced, you know, pre- and post-game shows and all that stuff. And I was actually on the on-air promotion side. And I was the only woman in my department – And I was 23 and I was full-time. And my boss had gone off of his bipolar meds and proceeded to just make my life hell. In every way, shape, and form. Tried to tell people what I made for a living. Tried to uh, circumvent my schedule to make me work more hours in a day because he said I wasn't working enough. I got put into like a secretarial role. All these. And while I was also somewhat doing his job at the same time. And I really didn't feel like I had support. I don't think anybody believed how bad it was. And I found out later, I ended up leaving after about a year and a half. And I found out later that other people ended up in that same job and they had no idea how I had done it. And that's, those are times where you just don't realize how bad it really is. And I do not know why he was singling me out the way he was. Uh, he had mentioned something about his two daughters, and I think he was angry at them. And he has since tried to reach out and apologize, and I will not reply.
0: Mm. It was that bad.
1: Yeah. I didn't even say anything in my exit interviews because I was afraid to.
0: You just sat there and, like, Took it or what?
1: No, I just, I mean, well, professionally at my job, I had to, right? Because I didn't want to get fired. Wow. And then I left to go to a station in East Texas where they signed us all up for a reality show against our will. I was already with four years of experience on the regional sports side and on the radio on air, and I was making 18000 a year. And they didn't even, they signed me up to be a reporter and I wasn't even reporting. I was shooting every day for up to 12 hours a day with no overtime, which is a federal overtime violation. And I wasn't ever on the air and they would punish me at times. For example, there was one time where I had to go by myself and shoot a shooting scene and I didn't feel comfortable. So I had to go get a police escort to shoot the crime scene video. So because I got a police escort, I was late in making my deadline that day. And so I was suspended from being on the air for several weeks. I wish I were making this up. And that boss had a history of, in fact, had been sued. And this is back in Texas in the mid-2000s for sexual discrimination. And it's really hard to win one of those cases if you're the complainant. And the plaintiff had successfully won, so he had a habit of singling out women. And I, so I felt like over that time I went from bad to worse.
0: So how'd you come out of that? Because, <laughs> because I mean that's enu- that's enough right there to make someone Wanna walk kway? away. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, walk away. So how,
1: and I've you- had conversations with my ex fiance at times, and he knew I was at my wit's end.
0: So what kept you on it then?
1: I knew that I wasn't going to be there forever, and I just kept trying to like succeed in spite of it. And I would put in 20-hour days and try to get out of there. And I made a tape on the side. And what they didn't realize was I kept track of all of my hours every single day because I knew what they were doing was wrong. And federal overtime claims can never be waived. And if you're the only person keeping track of them, that means that's the only evidence submissible in a court of law.
0: So you got all that money?
1: I still have not, but I hold it over their head. I didn't have to because in the first paragraph of the contract, it said I was an at-will employee, and if they didn't let me leave, I would tell every single person at that station where exactly the contract said it. I was tired of being underestimated.
0: It's a theme. I've I've noticed as our friendship has evolved that you don't like – like that's one of the things that will – turn you from zero to 10, like real quick is someone underestimating how smart you are, how good at your job you are or what you can do.
1: Well, and, and in turn, I don't like it when we as an industry underestimate our audience. I don't like talking down to people. Always. And I don't, I think that the mark of a lot of unsuccessful stations is they feel like they're smarter than who they're talking to. Hmm. Don't ever underestimate anybody.
0: No, that makes that makes a world of sense. I so what? All right, so you're you're like Andy Dufresne. So you go through this this uh, dark period, th- this two and a half years of shit.
1: Really, like three and, a half.
0: three and a half years of shit. You come out on the other side. What's the next gig for you?
1: I went to Sherman, Texas. Where I was an anchor, reporter, news anchor, and producer, and photographer. The one-man band. Because I would always shoot. That ha- I shot video every day with a big boy camera for seven years. Like, that didn't change. I just wanted to do all the other stuff in addition. I went to the CBS affiliate, and I was only an hour north of Dallas, where my fiancé was at the time. So it was a—and uh, then I got married, and it was a really good time. I loved it. It was a great job. I am actually— Supposed to create a goodbye tape for an anchor who I helped get a job for today. She's leaving the station finally. You
0: ready, you ready to wrap this thing up?
1: No. <laughs> no, it's fine. But I just remember that I have to do it. So I loved that job. And that's really kind of where things started to turn around for me.
0: And now look at what's happened. I, there's so much ground that we need to cover. <laughs> and I'm trying to...
1: Between the mass layoff in Houston and then they. Yeah, I mean... Yeah.
0: Where you think that everything you're covering, what you were doing sideline for the
1: Astros? In Houston, my job was as follows. I was like the girl Friday of CSN Houston. So I did I hosted Astros pre and post game a couple days a week. I would fill in a field report for the Astros at least a series a month. I was the sideline reporter for the college football package that we had for Conference USA that aired nationally on the CSN Regents. I was also a 6 and 10 anchor, and I hosted the high school show, and I was also the Houston Rockets reporter. So I did a little bit of everything.
0: So when everything falls apart in Houston after you've established all of these things, what was it like?
1: Oh, you mean when I found out in the newspaper that my contract wasn't going to be honored because of the bankruptcy, and then I had to be on the field that day field reporting? Yes. Yeah, that was a good time. Uh, I had a conversation with my incredibly Philly shoot-from-the-hip boss who can be considered pretty intimidating, but I just loved him. And it was about two minutes long, and it went like this. I said, at the time, I had the most social media followers on Twitter of anybody at our network. I said, you've trusted me with arguably some of the hardest assignments at this network and not only have i met them but i've also exceeded the expectations i said i cover every sport you guys have and i've also been put on a property where you wanted extra firepower and you consider me the person to do so and then he goes if you have a full-time job offer i suggest you take it i said i don't he goes do you want to go to philly to fill in for an anchor on maternity leave and i said yes and that was it and that was it and then i was off to philly
0: so you, so what was it like when all that word came down and it filtered around the station with all the people that you were working with?
1: I mean, it was hard for all of us. There are friends that I thought I'd have. And it, unfortunately, you know, that's a time where you don't know why things happen the way they do. And it's easy to take stuff personally. It's easy to be really angry. It's easy to ask why it's you and not somebody else. And it ultimately wasn't even wholly me because I was part-time. Um, I was. Everybody was also dealing with their own personal stress. We were all going to have to move. So there were friends who had just had babies. They didn't know where they were going. I put all of my stuff into a storage unit and then left for Philly because I didn't know how long I was going to be gone. Also, by the way, knowing that I needed to get out of there at some point pretty soon, because you see what happens when there's a massive hurricane in Houston. Everything floods. So I'd, everybody kind of put their lives on pause. And it was hard.
0: So now you, you have that worry while you're trying to make a name out of yourself in Philly.
1: Right. And then additionally, I mean, it wasn't the easiest on my family either. They were like, How many more times are you going to move? And how many more times are you going to stop your life for this?
0: Are you still married
1: at the time? No. I got divorced when I was in Austin. And then a few months later, I left for San Diego.
0: So this is your mom and your brothers, brothers, right?
1: Yeah, I have two brothers and a stepsister. And my dad all live in LA. And then my mom is still in the Dallas area.
0: So while they're not. Right next to... But they're close enough. You're all the way in Philadelphia.
1: Right. So then I decided I was going to move to Philly. And my dad thought it was a terrible idea. Why? He read me the riot act. He thought it was all an awful idea.
0: So now we're going all the way back to... Layla's not a doctor. She's not a lawyer. She's not an engineer. engineer, And she's leaving and she's going across the country to chase after this thing that she likes doing.
1: Right. Pretty much. It's like I had... I feel like in a way, in my dad's eyes, it's like I had a drug habit, except it was television.
0: (laughs) Has has he come around? I don't know. Because you've done
1: pretty well. I make it sound like he's an awful person. He's not.
0: Yeah, but I think that we want so badly to, to represent our families well. And to make our parents proud of us. I think that that's a, a very human thing to do. So, when I mean, my parents, they didn't quite get it. Like, they understood because I had done radio in high school and stuff, but they were like, really? You're going to, you're going to, instead of going to law school, instead of going to the Navy and having the Navy pay for you to go to law school, you're going to, you're going to be the overnight producer. And we should be happy that. You have a job producing a radio show from midnight to 530 a.m. Oh, yeah. And you're you're explaining. And now they've completely come like they listen all the time. They're watching all the time. But it's almost like there's that stuff that they that your parents expect for you versus what you actually are interested in and want to do.
1: Yeah. And I never had the conversation of what they wanted. I, I just had my own ideas, and I was like, this is what I'm going to do.
0: Do you think it would have mattered?
1: I don't know. doesn't matter now.
0: No, but I'm wondering, like, how how big the influence may have been.
1: I don't know. I mean, even recently, I had a conversation that involved basically a discussion that was like, you have a lot of potential. I Okay, at some point, it's not really potential.
0: Yeah, I have a lot of talent.
1: <laughs> like... <laughs> I, I am in my mid 30s like this isn't I, I did report for the Olympics like it's it's not like I'm not doing well at my job right I am in the number three market in the country but yeah that happened
0: can we talk about the Olympics yeah what was that experience like
1: insane
0: I remember when you got the the gig and you were like, I gotta pack everything and I gotta figure out how to get it all with me.
1: Twenty eighteen was without a doubt the best year of my career. So hands down. And I've worked at MLB Network and I've worked for a flag for the flagship network of our regional companies and all of these things. And that was still number one.
0: What made the Olympic trip so special?
1: It was something that I wanted to do ever since I wanted to work for NBC. So NBC owns Comcast Sportsnet. That was something that they wanted. And when I was in Austin, and only on the air once a week, I often would shoot and cover Olympic sports. Texas had arguably one of the best track teams in the country at that time, home of Sonia Richards and, you know, the coaches as well. And then their swimming and diving was also half of the Olympic team at one point, like Aaron Pearsall, Ian Crocker, Brendan Hansen, all those guys were Olympians. So I always thought this is huge. I'd love to be able to cover Olympic sports for NBC at some point in my life. I knew I had a long way to go to get there, but it was just something that I wanted. And it was something that I always wanted. And I just didn't think it was ever going to happen after everything that occurred. The massive layoff in Houston where our network changed hands and then I moved to Philly part-time. And then I end up in Chicago, and I kind of set it aside mentally. And then they asked me to report on the U.S. women's hockey team. And I thought to myself, this might be something. So to finally get that goal was so big to me, and it meant so much. And then they didn't put me on some random sport; Not like that. That would have been great. If they had said biathlon, I would have been cool. But they put me on the women's hockey team. I mean, that was a big, big deal. And there wasn't a day that went by that I didn't think it was an opportunity that I was taking for granted. I I just absolutely knew that that was so big. And I just wanted to make sure I worked hard enough to deserve it and do them proud.
0: You kind of rubbed elbows with, like, the rich and famous in our industry during your, your Olympic time.
1: The hotel was insane. Like, the whole time I'm just staring at people like a crazy person. Like Katie Couric just had breakfast with us for several days that week. And she's amazing. And I never thought that I'd ever be able to say that. And then I saw Scott Hamilton. And because I took dance forever, I still remember every single move in his final routine. You know, so I got to talk to him. So those were things that were just, I don't even know how to say, unfathomable to me. And then I come back and I got the baseball show. And I thought that was amazing.
0: Wait, wait. Don't go to the baseball show yet. Weren't you on the set of the Today Show?
1: Oh, yeah. They had me on the set of the Today Show at one point. And I'm just chilling on the Today Show set. Like, it's no big deal. (laughs) It's an incredibly big deal. Like, what is happening? That's the stuff you dream of. And, and, yeah, did I want to give the double rods to, like, my old stupid boss in East Texas who, like, didn't think that I was anything and my boss who went off his meds? and i shouldn't say that so flippantly it it is a huge huge problem and and we all right you, you Mental mean it's is an issue but he actually and yeah. then he took it out on me and nobody helped him and that's not my position at 22 23 years old but did i want to flip him the double rods yeah and basically say like that line from uh liar liar where he's like screw you screw you you're cool i mean that's kind of how i no, felt no that's half baked is it? Yeah. I don't know. Fuck I say you, it all the time. Fuck
0: you. You're cool. Fuck you. Yes. And I'm out.
1: Yes. But but then it but you know what's funny is like at that point you're just so happy you don't care. Like you don't care about all those people. You're just like, like they don't matter in that moment.
0: And then you you make it back here to the job you have now with the baseball show. How did that come about?
1: Ugh. So, so at our office, I'm always the last to know things, which is cool because it's not like we're in the information business. And I don't mind being the last to know things as long as I know them when I'm supposed to, which happens. So everybody, all these people were asking me, has your boss talked to you? And I'm like, no, what is happening? Why do people keep asking me this? Like, what, what is going on? So, finally, I talked to my boss, Kevin, before I leave, and I'm like, Kevin, why are people asking me if I've talked to you? And it was actually something completely separate. Like, people were just fishing for information or just being curious, and I think being just kind. You know, they're just asking. So, Kevin told me, we want you to do this show, Baseball Night in Chicago. Well, I didn't realize who was going to be on the show, but he was just like, I just want you to know now so you can start preparing because I know you like to prepare, because I do. So before I left for the Olympics, I had that information. So then um, I knew uh, I knew at that point then that I had to prepare for that when I came back. And then they make the announcement that it's Ozzie Gein and Doug Glanville. And I'm like, wait, what? Holy crap. Like what? I'm hosting a show with who? This is basically baseball tonight that I grew up wanting to be on. What? And so that's, Mentally where it went from there.
0: How much fun are you having on that show?
1: I I mean, I never thought ever that I would just, like, joke around with Ozzy on a daily basis.
0: He's amazing. He's amazing. People don't even realize, like, how fun and funny and smart he is and how, like, the reaction he gets— like, Ozzy's like, everyone knows Ozzy. You know what I mean? Like, he's one of those guys that walks into a building and everyone, like, kind of gravitates towards him.
1: His presence fills a room. But at the same time, he's he's not the type to make it all about him all the time. It's a conversation. It's not It's not 100% Ozzy. And that's what makes it cool. And now I know his sons and... You know, I know Ozzy well, and he's— and
0: that grandbaby he's obsessed with.
1: Adela. Yeah, and I mean, which is awesome, too, because I feel like we're watching this transformation of Ozzy. But—and then there's Doug Glanville, who's just amazing. I mean, how many different words can you use to describe that man? You want to talk about upper-level education mm-hmm. while also making baseball his his hobby at this his point? His side hustle. Right. <laughs> I mean, I do not have enough words to describe the the class and the skill and the just embodiment of everything cool that Doug Glanville is. And we get to meet so many personalities in our business. And to me, without a doubt, that is the number one thing. But to be able to work with those two, and then everybody I've met in the process, it, it's just been fantastic. And to be well-received by the Cubs and by the White Sox both, I... You dream of that stuff.
0: Let's talk about Harvard. How did you get invited? What What was the event that you went to at Harvard?
1: So I have a friend who is a sports agent. He represents Mitch Robinson, Robinson of the Knicks, and he's Persian. And I met him, of course, in the most Persian way ever, at a Shaws of Sunset party in Houston. Okay. For Persian New Year. Check all the boxes. <laughs> ding, 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 <laughs> ding. So <laughs> we've always kept in touch, and he, of course, is friends with R. Ash Markazi, the Persian sports writer, formerly of ESPN and now the LA Times. And uh, he reached out to me and said, um, "There's an event going on that I th- that I think you would be perfect for." And when he told me about it, I was like, "What?" So Harvard has this annual summit of Iranian Americans who are notable in the community. And therefore, they thought that I was a notable Iranian American and that I was going to speak on a, on their sports panel at this summit that they have in this conference. So, I got to go to Harvard to speak about being a notable Iranian American in sports. I don't even know what to say. My mind was scrambled. And the first thing I asked was, am I Persian enough? Because I'm like, listen, I grew up in Texas and I live primarily with my mom and she's white. I'm like, and I saw my dad every other weekend and stuff. But then like, am I Persian enough? And then they were like, yes, you're Persian enough. And so I got to go.
0: When you get there after having a life where you're not surrounded by it. You don't see your dad that often. What was it like to be in a space where there's so many Persians and you're sharing your culture?
1: It was mind-blowing because a lot of the stuff, I didn't know if it was the culture or if it was how my dad grew up or if it was... Even though my dad had a lot of friends, they we have all known each other for, at this point, over 30 years. You know, so I don't know... What entirely is Persian culture and what isn't? I just know, like, some of it translates, but you don't know, like, intrinsic stuff. Like, say, for example, doctor, lawyer, engineer, disgraced to family. I'm like, I just know how my dad felt about it all. I didn't know if that was my dad or if it was the culture for a long time. So you find this stuff out. So here I am wrapping my mind around the fact that I am at Harvard. One of the guys on our panel authored the Rooney Rule. Mm-hmm. The other one is a very successful sports agent. The moderator was the first Persian-American Division I hockey player. You know, and he's a startup guy in San Francisco. You know, and it's just everybody there is so wildly successful, but also at the same time supportive. So that's what you realize is Harvard is this amazing network of people who are just very also supportive. The hard part's getting in. So Additionally, one of the things that I thought was so amazing was they had scheduled an athlete who couldn't make it. So they asked us, is there somebody you can think of? Obviously, I thought of you, Darvish, because Darvish is also half Persian. We've talked about it. But um, they, I mentioned, have you guys thought about reaching out to Sharp Hodanish? And I had never met the man, but I grew up watching Cowboys games and he played for the Redskins. And, of course, he stood out to me because I didn't get to see a lot of people like me in this field. He was the first ever Iranian-American NFL player. Hmm. First ever. So they found him, and he got to come.
0: That's insane.
1: So here's somebody I grew up watching, and and now he's there. And he inspired me because it matters. Like, having somebody like you, when you don't understand everything that goes around it is important
0: when we were texting while you were at harvard it seemed to me and you can tell me if i'm wrong that there was a feeling of comfort and safety like for you in that group where you were you hadn't had anything like like that before no so What was going through you while you're in this group of exceptional Persians?
1: Um, So they said this, and I didn't know this. But that I am the first Iranian-American female sportscaster ever. Ever. I didn't know that. I just am trying to stay employed. But all these people talked to me, and they were like, "You don't understand. Like you, you've actually done something. Like what you're doing is important." And they asked us, "What's our advice for parents who, you know, have kids who don't want to be doctors, lawyers, or engineers?" <laughs> Which always makes me laugh because. One of my brothers is an engineer and the other one is a doctor or studying to be one. He just got his degree from UCLA pre-med. Now he's at a specialist school. So, uh, and I joked, I was like, well, having a brother who's an engineer and having another brother who's studying to be a doctor, there's power in numbers. You know, why, why do we have to be successful at just those things? Why can't we be successful at everything? But... You know, knowing that, for example, Shar Pordanish being there meant something to me, maybe I can be that for somebody else. And I understand, you know, there is this struggle of trying to explain what you're doing to your parents, at least on my dad's side. And so knowing that that was significant is a pretty big deal. I don't even know how to say it. I shouldn't have had to partially find myself at this age at Harvard for being one of the best in my field apparently. For
0: being first, Layla.
1: Yeah. So there's that. So that that's gonna take some time to wrap my head around. But it was uh pretty amazing.
0: It's clearly emotional for yeah. you to think about. I think that's wonderful. That but being first carries a lot of responsibility with it too.
1: Yeah, maybe.
0: It's not like you're going to mess it up though.
1: I mean, <laughs> just... I don't know. I would mess it up every day if you ask some people. Whatever. But you know what I'm saying?
0: But it's but it's not I mean, you you represent very well and I imagine that to be in a place where people understood like even as to go back to our earlier conversation about the idea of you being invited to the to the cookout as far as being a minority, to be in a group of people that understand your particular set of circumstances while it may not have been sports casting but culturally to understand that i i can't even imagine like how amazing that must have felt for you
1: yeah because i've been trying to explain it in some way shape or form for a long time
0: and it just kind of came together at harvard
1: A little bit. Yeah. I mean, listen, and it's funny because my dad was like, well, how was it? And I was like, it was really fun. You know, I enjoyed it. And I couldn't really tell him everything. And not because we don't have that relationship, but just because, again, you know, like it's it's just a different discussion. And then he went to Iran. He's there right now visiting our family. My cousin sent me a message on Instagram showing me he had arrived at the airport safely. (laughs) (laughs) And I always get a little worried about him coming back. And if I had to put into words what it's like to be a Persian in America in 2019, that's probably it. When my dad goes home, I'm worried about him being able to get back okay. And not because of a plane issue, but because of a governmental one.
0: Is that governmental on both sides or is it? A
1: little of column A and a little of column B. Mm.
0: Mm. So how how do you deal with that?
1: You just know you have that stress every time. What can you do? If I could do something, then I wouldn't have it happen, right?
0: Does your dad worry about it?
1: I don't know what my dad worries about.
0: He strikes me as being really interesting.
1: He is. I mean, he's got a lot of reasons to be proud of his kids, obviously. But
0: Oh, there's the one that's the engineer. I know. I mean, my
1: brother's actually that... working on, like, <laughs> chips. Like, I, I'm i just like, what are you doing? And in his spare time, he just engineers other stuff or skateboards. Oh, yeah? Yeah.
0: Is he good at it?
1: Yeah, really good.
0: That's outstanding.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I my fa- I am very grateful for my family, but there is an element of trying to explain to them that I'm not I don't even know what the <laughs> what they think I do sometimes <laughs> at least on my dad's side.
0: I understand that. He,
1: but that was the great thing about doing national stuff too is he got to see.
0: Yeah, you're doing international stuff. Yeah. And he gets to see you do that, which is incredible. Look, I always ask people on here what what advice would you have for someone who wants to follow in your footsteps. And I actually have at some point I'll connect you to. I actually have a student who kind of wants to be you, and she's Persian. Um, so
1: don't be me. D- don't Whatever be you. you do, don't be me. It comes with stress and coffee and clumsiness.
0: But what, what would you say to, to someone who wants to find themselves doing what you do for a living?
1: Um, first of all, don't take it personally that you're different. Embrace what makes you different. It's going to be hard. You're going to even have people like your agent say it's not going to be easy for you. Screw that. Like The right people will find you, whether that's in your personal life or your professional one. The people who are for you are going to be there for you. And then don't do this for somebody else. Do it for you. And when you ask yourself why you're doing what you're doing every day, remind yourself of it when the times get tough. Because they will. But don't take it personally. That's not on you. That's on them. Um, and, you know, haters come with the territory. Pick and choose your battles. And if you want to choose that battle, make sure it's one you can actually fight. In the meantime, be persistent, but be okay if you want to walk away.
0: Hmm. I think because tr- it's
1: not for everybody, and that's okay.
0: It's true; it's not late nights, weekends, holidays, especially if you're covering sports. Like,
1: yeah, I mean, I you know, and the relationship life isn't easy, but you'll it's it's a matter of when. Not if sometimes.
0: I feel like we need a whole nother episode to talk about your relationship life.
1: Oh, if it's current, you need about two (laughs) seconds of silence. Let's observe it now. And we're back. And we are back
0: with the silence.
1: I mean, I'm dating some people, just not anything. I don't know. I've been dating.
0: I know, but you've got a lot of stuff that we could talk about. That'll be when you come back <laughs> the next time that you're on House of L.
1: Yeah. Once that, I do the round robin. That's, that's of... one big old L. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is Layla taking the L.
0: Well, did, didn't we say that this is House of Double L? Isn't yeah. That what this episode Layla is? Layla and Lawrence. It's like... and, and
1: essentially, this is a house where I tell you about me personally taking a lot of L's in my life.
0: That's good, though. I think it's really good. I really appreciate you doing this. I know that you're super busy, and you came in to record with me on your day off, and I appreciate
1: it. Hey, man, let's share some stories for the people.
0: You definitely share it.
1: Yeah, my life is nowhere near perfect, but I think everybody knows that, and I'm happy to always say so.
0: Well, I, I thank you greatly for the time and the uh, the episode, because I think people are going to respond to it. Well, Truly I appreciate
1: do. that. And by the way, if you're listening... I never will ever think that I'm smarter than you. We're in this all together.
0: It's a perfect place to leave it. Boom, we're done. Thanks,
1: Layla. Thanks, Lawrence.
0: Good stuff there from Layla Rahimi. And she's not Leah Remini. <laughs> she's not. She's not Sierra Santos. She's not Kelly Kroll. I you know people like, confuse her with all of those. I'm... I actually am looking forward to her coming back on the podcast and us discussing what I was saying at the end there that if cuz she was very personal like she was more personal in this pod than I expected her to be. So maybe we'll talk about like her dating life or whatever at some point. You can email the podcast podcast at gmail.com. Yes, we're doing it every other week, so get your emails in, and they will get read on the pod. This one from Bill. This is long, Bill, but I'll do my best to shorten it up. Lawrence, I just wanted to reach out and say I appreciate what you do. I'm writing after listening to the Loho Daily Pod on sports-related trips. I moved to Louisville. Louisville. Yeah, man, I I do the Loho Daily. I'll skip down. He he really likes – the score show and loho daily and house of L congratulations on your success with house of L you were definitely ahead of the game, your success and template you created has sure led to demand for content from you and other score personalities from radio.com. Yeah. I, I'm, I don't know if I take credit for the other guys, but I think that it showed that I could do something a little bit different. Bill goes on to say, I love what you do on house of L love to hear how the sausage is made. Although I'm interested in Chicago sports. What I really like is the stories about athletes and personalities. I like hearing about the journey someone took to get to where they are. Yeah. And I think you got that from this episode for sure. So thanks, Bill. I appreciate you reaching out. Bill also says next time you're in Louisville, I've got some donut suggestions. Okay. I plan to go back to Louisville because I really, really like it. Yeah, I do another podcast called Loho Daily. It's on radio.com. You can search for it. Subscribe. And it's shorter. Like, it's shorter. It's more sports-driven. This is more journalism-driven, finding out how people do what they do. But it's fun because it gives me a chance to create and maybe talk about stuff that I wouldn't talk about on the score. This one from Joe, who says, Lawrence, I just want to say I stumbled upon the pod soon after it launched, and I really enjoy House of L. It's been really interesting to get a deeper dive on some people – whose content I've enjoyed for many years. One of my favorite episodes with Kathy Cheney. and upon reading the tagline, I figured that would be one I would skip as I didn't, as it didn't pique my interest. I had some time to kill before an appointment. So I started and it was fascinating conversation that shows the mark of a good product, getting someone to listen to something. I had no outward interest in the topic, but really enjoyed a lot of conversations a suggestion for guest, Sahadev Sharma. I actually, that's a guy that I, I do want to talk to. I do want to talk to you. Um, and, the, and he goes on to say, "I know you have asked for suggestions on this, but I'd like to submit a fun question for Joe Madden. I'm curious if he has a set routine after games on the road. Does he go to dinner with set people, or just get back to the room? I'll put that in the list. On the list, I, I appreciate that, Joe. Get that, Joe." I really do appreciate that. But, yeah, Sahadev is definitely someone who's on the list. He's, he actually listens to the podcast. Shout out to Sahadev. We'll have to get him on there. You know what the problem is now? And, like, you heard a little bit with Layla. Like, there are people that are a little mad that they weren't asked to be on the podcast earlier. So now, like, when I ask people, it's not like there's just so much. There's so many people to talk to. Like, where do you start, you know? I guess you just start at the beginning. Or at least that's my goal. All right, that'll wrap things up for this episode. I thank you so much for listening. Reach out to Layla. Follow her on Twitter at Layla Rahimi. And if you want to email the podcast, L Podcast at gmail.com. I thank you for your continued support. I know that it's thrown people off a little bit that we're only doing this every other week. But until I get a real handle on the schedule, and now with school being over, that's easier. I I'm I just wanted to make sure that I could put out a good product every two weeks, and then we'll see if we go back to every week. But I do appreciate your support. Thanks for listening. See you next time.
1: Peace.